Film Logic, a movie podcast where we look at the movies of yesterday, today, and tomorrow with every fandom in between. And we're not just a podcast, but we're part of the Retro Logic universe, which makes a great Discord. And you should check us out because we are really good guys. Speaking of good guys, Adam, do you know any good guys? Oh, uh, I know several, and most of them are on the Retro Logic uh discord channel oh yeah even people that vehemently (laughs) think our our uh, opinions are trash they still love us yeah i don't know how we managed to trick them but um i'm here for it yeah you know some of them even smile in my direction (laughs) yeah i like to just you know mark it down to our roguish charm and our rugged good looks Right, right. And the fact that we have the microphones and they don't. So. Right, right. They're exactly. kind of at our mercy. Right. Well, whenever we decide to let them come on. Yes. And then we heavily edit everything that they say. Yep. We take out every third word and make it sound like they hate Star Wars. Exactly. Looking at you, Shannon. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking, I mean, uh, it's July. We're no longer doing Star Wars. Mm. Um, I was thinking of doing the history of silent film. Or, yeah, count me in. Oh, yeah. oh, Or we can look at some of the summer movies that are superhero movies and debate wildly into the night. Right, right. I mean, yeah, nothing says summer quite like a blockbuster, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, well, I mean, before we get into this summer's blockbusters, you know, we got some time to kill unless you got something up your sleeve. But maybe what were some blockbusters from, you know, the time that you were growing up? What was something that you were super excited to see? Gosh, you see, these might not have been summer blockbusters, but mm. these were movies I got excited about. Right. Well, you know, there was Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. Right. I couldn't get to the theater fast enough. <laughs> and since uh, Vanilla Ice was the hottest thing since Eminem, that just doubled the awesomeness of that movie. <laughs> it doubled it? It doubled it. So it had, that movie had everything you would want in a sequel. Twice mm. as many jokes, twice as many spin kicks. A, a hot rapper with a <laughs> exclusive song. Oh, what was the exclusive song? Well, uh, go ninja, go ninja, go. <laughs> I just wanted you to sing it, Mike. Yes, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. It's a shame if you don't know that song. Right? No, you have to sing it. Yes, and it had extra monsters, which would later become action figures with, that I would have to buy. Mm. What were your favorites? Well, I okay. So here's uh, here's the the dark and long history of Mike's uh, action figures. 
Mm-hmm. So when it came to Ghostbusters and Ninja Turtles, um, I had to have every cool action figure. I mean, of course. I had all the ghosts, the fright feature Ghostbusters, the ones where you push the buttons and their eyes bug out because they're so scared. <laughs> I had that yeah. monster that you push down on his tongue and like that his jaw shuts and it pretty much breaks your fingers. But, you know, they didn't have laws back then, so you could have that toy. Yeah, you could do whatever you wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, I had so many, like, non canon characters in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles universe. <laughs> like the decomposing man. Who was that? Who cares, right? I, no idea. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or the I had the the Ghostbuster monster or ghosts with it was like a guy with a garbage over his head and if you push down on the garbage like a fly monster comes out. Weird. Yeah. Like that So I had it all and I'm sure if I went on eBay value like, I could be living in a mansion in Canada, <laughs> a Canadian mansion. Maybe. No maybe in, like, Manitoba. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. But I think I was just, you know, very unwise as a child. So maybe I would come home with less toys after going to school. Maybe I'd loan them out to some kids. Maybe I'd leave them in the basement. Maybe I'd sell one for a nickel. So right. dwindle by dwindle by dwindle, I am down to nothing. <laughs> oh, Mike. I know. Uh, man. I know. I, I stay up at night thinking about the fortune I could have had. Right. I I love when TV shows or movies talk about, like, that weird sort of kid economy that we had growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, now everyone grew up in different parts of the world at different times. But, you know, there was always somebody willing to trade, you know, a G.I. Joe for, you know, your your ice cream sandwich at lunch. And, there's, yes. you know, there's always an economy for that. Right. And I, oh, man, I was such a bad dealer <laughs> as a kid because you pretty much you got amazing things out of me. All you had to do was ask. <laughs> you know. So, you know, if we if we got transported into, like, a 1990s, like, kids movie, your nickname would be Bad Deal Mike. Bad Deal Mike. (laughs) And if you modernized it, like, to Mm. 2023 uh, time, I'd probably give away, like, a signed copy of Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom in exchange for, like, a Walmart DVD of uh, Hellraiser 6. (laughs) Mike, that's a great deal. That is a great deal. Hey, and you know what? My mom says that I have to give this back to you after the weekend, so it's just for the weekend. No one's mom said that. <laughs> Everyone's mom said, you can keep Mike's toys. He's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's great. Uh, no, I, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, one time uh, in kindergarten, um, I saved up my lunch money for a week. And I bought a Pokemon card for my friend on the bus. And uh, my mom, I don't know how my mom found out, but she got, like, really mad at me. And I was like, Mom, it's Pikachu. I had to do it. I, I believe you. I really think you had to do it. 
right? So so great. <laughs> yeah. Um, but speaking of my childhood, um, I, I would say the the big blockbusters I remember getting really excited for was probably like when Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2 were coming out. That was real big for me. Um, I remember also getting real excited for Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, t- to me, I think the ultimate summer blockbuster movie is probably Pirates of the Caribbean, just because it, it hits all the buttons for me, right? Like, it's, you know, a couple of handsome, dashing dudes and ladies, sword mm-hmm. fighting, sailing in a tropical, you know, a tropical environment, some good quips, some good British humor, um, zombies. Did I mention the sword fights? There's a lot of good sword fights. And yeah, it just ticks all the boxes for me. That technically that was our first like taste at what an Infinity War universe could look like cuz they went in they went in with all their chips with all <laughs> the the side plots, adding characters, adding fan theories, right? I mean, it kind of fell apart around four and five, but like the first three, like tight. You, yeah, you were hooked. Right. So good. Right. Yeah. Now that I think about it, yeah, they really did have a really crazy cinematic universe. Remember when they got that one dude from the Rolling Stones to be Jack Sparrow's dad? That was crazy. Right. I mean, it's pretty much the Fast and the Furious with pirate ships. <laughs> right mm-hmm. but uh, oh man but they they that cast though is that was a real who's who so have you ever looked at like one of those free channels that has like all those old movies mm-hmm. or movies that came out a couple years ago and you're like man i haven't seen this and then you see it and you're like, I can't believe all those stars were in that movie. Yeah, yeah. Usually followed by, that was trash, or that was amazing. Right. Well, my son, my two-year-old son is into snails. Mm. Ever since we found one coming out of our, like, we got a bag of lettuce and a snail popped out. And he's like, yep, I'm all about that snail. <laughs> so, luckily, free V owned by Prime, has a free copy of Turbo you can watch. Yeah. Turbo the Snail. And my goodness, you would think this was a Marvel movie with all the star power they have. First of all, Ryan Reynolds as Turbo the Snail. Jeez. Uh, Paul Giamatti as his brother. (laughs) I can't think of two people that look less alike. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no no offense to Ryan Reynolds. Paul Giamatti is a very handsome man. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, Maya Rudolph as wow. just this random snail that kind of says, I'm going to date you. <laughs> um, Samuel L. Jackson as himself, but in mm. that, his name is Whiplash. But I'm pretty sure it's him. Uh, Michael Pena, Lu- Luis Guzman. Bill Hader, <laughs> Snoop Dogg, Ben Ben Schwartz, Richard Jenkins, Michelle Rodriguez. Oh my goodness, Mario Andretti. 
is the race car movie. driver. Yes, <laughs> Ken Jeong is in this movie. That's incredible. Like a movie where these people were together, like in this in this age, um, each one of them would walk home with like at least three million dollar paychecks for doing this film. Yeah, dude, kids kids movies are, ca- are cash grabs. Yeah. Like, and I have to say that this this movie easily ranks in my bottom ten for animated features. <laughs> but my son loves it, so I need to see it at least sixteen more times. Right. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of of uh, the cast for Happy Feet. Yeah. Um, it's like it's Robin Williams, Elijah Wood. Hugh Jackman, Nicole Kidman, like it's it's insane. Hugo Weaving is also in it. Steve Irwin, like it's got these kids' movies are out of control, man. How do they get the budget for these things? Right, right. And imagine everybody looked at the the script mm. and they said, "This is the best use of our time." <laughs> they they looked at Turbo. Um, a by the a paint by the numbers DreamWorks right. uh, script, funny eye people doing jokes, uh, Snoop Dogg acting like he's st- like one of the stoned uh, snails. <laughs> right. Said, this is it. This is what. This is what we want to do. That's that's crazy. I'm I've just looked up a list of kids movies with casts. And I'm I'm looking at Angry Birds the movie, mm-hmm. and and it's literally just everybody from the 2000s SNL. Like it's it's Jason Sudeikis, Danny McBride, Bill Hader, Sean Penn, Peter Dinklage, Kate McKinnon, Keegan Michael Key, Maya Rudolph. That's, that's insane. <laughs> All of those people have an Emmy from either being on SNL or from uh, uh, Game of Thrones. You know, this sounds like a game, Adam. I'm going to name off a bunch of actors and you tell right. me which horrible cartoons. I have right. to guess. Jerry Seinfeld, Renee Zellweger, Patrick Warburton, Matthew Broderick, John Goodman, Chris Rock, Kathy Bates, Larry King, Oprah Winfrey, Sting, Megan Mullally, and Barry Levinson, and Ray Liotta. Is that Madagascar? Nope. That's the (laughs) B movie. (laughs) I was close. I was close. That's that's insane. I I digress, though. I think animation... I wonder if actors, when they're like cast into animated roles, if they do a sigh of relief, and like they just think easy paycheck, right? Cash I money. I don't have to stand on X's and make sure I don't look at the camera. <laughs> I just have to speak into a microphone, be myself, and walk out of there. It just, and sometimes they don't even have to be themselves. They just gotta read half-heartedly, right? Absolutely. But, I mean, I think for for every, you know, for every Pirates of the Caribbean, 
you know, there's a, you know, a shark tale in these summer blockbusters. And you never, and, you know, as a kid, unfortunately, like, you know, your parents, they don't want to, you know, they, they, they want a free couple of hours. So if your parents are like mine, um, you know, sometimes they just drop us off at the dollar theater and yeah. like, just like watch this movie for two hours while mom and me and mom get some free time and do some shopping. And, and I saw some real stinkers back in the day. What was your, like, what was your most disappointing cartoon to see as a child? Oh man, it's, I mean, I know I just mentioned Shark Tale, but it was, it's got to be Shark Tale, right? <laughs> like, Will Smith I re- just doesn't <laughs> cut it. <laughs> like, I, because that movie came out, like, what, less than six months after Finding Nemo? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I, because I remember seeing Finding Nemo in theaters and just being like, wow, like, this is the pinnacle, right? This is the mountaintop of animation. You know, this movie is incredible. The, you know, Avatar Way of Water, you know, take some notes on these, <laughs> on yeah. on the animation. Um, and, I mean, to then be like, oh, there's, like, this other movie that's come out with Will Smith. I like, I liked West. You know, I didn't, I didn't know any better at the time. Like, don't judge me. Um, <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. It's it seems cool, and they're they're singing really cool songs. And I was probably like, I don't. And I walked out of that theater being like, yeah, that stunk. That was like that was one of the worst things I've ever seen. I'm sorry that my my parents said that. You know, it was probably it it was off of the Finding Nemo. Like that was the hot thing, right? And so whenever mm. Disney does the hot thing some other animation company has to try to match it. I'm right? guessing. Right. They, they always, they always gotta, they always gotta do it. I don't yeah. know. I feel like DreamWorks. Um, and I don't know whatever, whatever company makes the CGI cartoon movies, they see something from Disney. They look at the numbers and how much it's made. And they say, you know what that movie's missing? a thousand percent more silliness (laughs) and they think that's all we're missing is the silliness right you would think someone would be like right you would think that somebody at dreamworks would be like hey should we write a plot or something they're like nah do another fart joke more silliness more minions (laughs) but i mean as of late DreamWorks has really been has really been hit their mark. I mean, between um, Puss in Boots and you know, like them or hate them, like the you know the Minion stuff is is printing money and right. You know, Disney Disney might have to start taking some notes from them, especially if Elemental is anything to to take notes on. So, word word in the water cooler is that Ruby Gilman tried to be like what is that that boy who goes in the water lucas logan Lo- lola luca luca yeah yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's like luca and it's like uh the little mermaid and and uh turning red like everyone who's reviewed this is like yep they they totally took those three movies and tried to monetize them into a single movie <laughs> and i feel like when i saw 
when I saw like Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken, when I saw the trailer, I was like, yep, uh, this is this is like another burp out movie. You know, <laughs> we ate lots of Disney and now we got to burp out something. Right. I mean, it's yeah, and, which is so unfortunate because I mean, it it does feel like animations at like at a point now where it's more of a level playing field than it has been in the past. Mm-hmm. Right. Like before it was just like it was Pixar and like maybe Disney can pull something together, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And then like DreamWorks was like, hey, do you remember when we did Prince of Egypt or was that yeah. DreamWorks? Yeah, yeah, they're like, they're like, hey, remember when we did Prince of Egypt and Shrek and stuff like that? You remember? Ha ha ha. Yeah. But now it's like, it's a pretty even playing field, right? Like there's, there's some good stuff. I mean, like it or hate it, like there's, you know, there's roles and, you know, the Minions movie has come out. Um, You know, there's even, you know, some, I wouldn't call it, um, I wouldn't call them indie movies by any chance but like did you see that movie that came out a couple years ago called abominable i've i keep seeing ads for it and i'm and in the back of my mind i think is that cool yeah it's good it's good it's good i mean it's it's very lovable i mean i think it's also dreamworks but you know it's it's definitely something that went under a lot of people's radar and um i saw it through um my work did an awesome field trip. We took some of the kiddos to the movie theater and we saw it. And it was, it was very, it was very cute. It was very fun. It was, yeah, it was like a very, it was a very good movie. But you know, there's there's stuff that's coming out now, and it feels like there's more quality content. But it also feels like it's like plateaued, if that makes sense, right? Like there's not, there's not like something you can point to in the last like ten years, and you're like, yeah, oh, maybe not ten years. The last five years, you're just like, oh yeah, that's that's like that's really great i mean what you know what comes to mind in the last five years is like luca but like don't get me wrong the movie's incredible but I, you wouldn't you wouldn't put that on your mount rushmore right right yeah i feel like ever since disney plus came out like disney's e plus stuff under the radar like uh oh, that one about the dragons that no one... Oh, How to Train Your Dragon? No, 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 no. Uh, it's about Eastern Asian. Oh, uh, Raya? Raya and the Dragon. Yeah, like, no one talks about that one. No one's really talking about Luca. These are ones we just kind of squeak under the radar. Yeah. I mean, I guess Encanto, I guess, would be the big one for the last five years, yeah. right? Did Did Coco come out in the last couple of years? Uh, I think it was pre-Disney+. Plus. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. No, I mean, I liked Coco. And, I mean, I don't... Personally, I don't think Encanto, story-wise, necessarily holds up. But I think that the music and the animation is really beautiful and touching. So, I mean, you know, you get what you get. Yeah. You know what has changed, though? Mm. These new movies are not going for the AAA stars. No more Patrick Warburton's and Jane Fonda's. Um, you know, the, they're going for the young kids that no one's heard of or that actor that's, you know, immigrated over from South Africa. 
and maybe that's the key to the greatness of movies now it was it was those triple a actors having to pay them a million dollars each that you know they had to fire writers or something or they had to like <laughs> they had to scale back on something yeah and you know i i guess as we transition maybe into our our, our next little bit but it really does feel like the last couple of years really since covid um that there's not a whole lot of original kind of summer blockbusters coming out. You know, everything is, you know, a, a franchise or a sequel or what have you. And there's, you know, even even stuff this summer that's coming out. And maybe we can get into it, but mm-hmm. instead of that are coming out that are standalone movies. Yeah. When we were all doing the pandemic, I swear only five movies came out. And one of them, and they were all like horrible. Like, I I remember watching the the 2020 Oscars. You know, it was kind of like a stay at home and watch the Oscars type, keep everyone safe. And I'm like, was there anything that came out like Blood Bloodshot the movie <laughs> that was starring Vin Diesel? Is that? Uh, there was that movie with Bella from uh, Twilight where she's in a haunted sub. <laughs> These are the movies that like came out during the pandemic. And and I feel like like 2020 was the year where you just, you, you go into your movie closet and you pick that old film that you never thought would sell and, and treat it like it's a, it's, it's triple A. Yeah, right. And oh, it's 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 such a shame. I mean, I don't know if you saw on um, on Retro Logic. I think someone the other day kind of was posting uh, posted a, a Wikipedia article um, about the the highest grossing uh, movies from the last you know you know last twenty years or so, not adjusted for inflation, mm-hmm. and pretty much every every single movie on that list. Except maybe like the Titanic was a uh, was a sequel or part of a um, was part of a franchise or something like that. It's it's insane. And then mm-hmm. I think somebody showed a um, and then I think the same person put the uh, the list on adjusted for inflation, and all of a sudden it was all like original kind of standalone some franchise stuff. But mm-hmm. you know you can't you can't get away from Avatar and stuff, but. There are more like standalone, um, standalone movies, and you're just like, what happened to what happened to movies? Right. Uh, you know, I don't want to sound like one of those movies were good in the '90s, and then the young whippersnappers got to them. <laughs> well, and I I don't even necessarily know if that's true. I I think that the quality of cinema has increased you know like i think across the board i think more good things come out than bad because like you know in the 90s there just there was a lot of trash like like you know people always look fondly back on like the blade movies but those those are really bad absolutely and i'm sure people are still talking about how spawn almost killed superhero movies because it just it wasn't ready Right, right. Um, yeah, I, I just think that 
the yeah, it's just changed. I don't I don't think it's necessarily better. It's just different now, and it's you know I I I would love to see some more original content. You you know what I think the '90s had it had like PG thirteen dramas that just mm. wanted to tell uh, like a like a wholesome story, like Tom Hanks and Forrest Gump. Um, and now, like, it's 2023, everything has to be artsy, so it has to be, like, edgy and rated R. And so if you want to see, like, the next wholesome coming-of-age film that, like, trips your mind, you it's not, like, Forrest Gump anymore. It's, like, you know, La La Inheritance after we collided, <laughs> you know, rated R for, because, you know, there's eight hours of nudity in it. And they're, like... Right. But it's got like an amazing script that like makes everyone cry, right? Yeah, right. And I mean, I, you know, I I was maybe saving this article for um, a little bit later when we, for another time when we talk about the Flash movie. But um, I think that these big, huge, like hundreds of millions of dollar budget movies have really devastated exactly like what you're saying, like the, the, the mid market, the mid budget movies, right? Mm. Like fast X cost like $340 million to make. Mm -hmm. And you know, when was the last time that you saw something like Napoleon dynamite come out? When, you know, when was the last time that you saw, you know, uh, you know, you got something like you got mail. Like the 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 mid budget movie has, right. has really fallen off, right? Because you because you can't monetize it in the same way. You know, and I feel like those movies exist, but they're on like they're not advertised anymore. They're like you you open up Netflix and you see like the the bridge country of medicine, whatever, and you're like, uh, okay. And now I'm going to watch Stranger Things. You know, like these movies are so much easier to skip over. Like I like when we got Apple TV, we don't have it anymore. Like it seemed like they were doing amazing things with Tom Hanks. Like he was a World War II boat captain in one movie. He owned a robot dog in another movie. And it just, <laughs> like it was like, Wow. We can watch that, or oh nope, Stranger Things is on. <laughs> right, right, and it seems like the only way that you can, you know, kind of get away with these quote unquote mid budget movies is if your name is like Wes Anderson. And, right, like it's it's tough. Like these, these, you know, even even are you know directors that you know have worked on stuff like that, like Greta Gerwig. Who did you know Lady Bird and Little Women and stuff like that? Was it Little Women? Mm -hmm. I can't remember. You know things. You know definitely not Barbie budget movies, but now they've moved on to things like Barbie. Um, or yeah, it, it, it's it's just it's hard to see. It's sad to see. Yeah, but at the same time, it means that we're not at a lack for these movies. There's right. just, there's so much that we don't know what to watch. Back, right. like, in the 90s, there was, like, three movies to watch a month. 
(laughs) You knew they were good because they were the ones that could afford advertising. And so if you wanted to watch a bad movie, you had to like stay up till 2 a.m. and go to the sci-fi channel. And, you know, that's where you got your bad movie fix. Right. Right. Well, it's 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 so it's so hard <laughs> mm-hmm. because it's like you really do, you know, you do want your your you know your parasocial friends and directors to to succeed, right? Like, yeah, you know, I I really I really love Phoebe Waller Bridge, and I loved her in Fleabag, and um, yeah, I love her in um, yeah, just in Broadchurch and. Know, all those like BBC kind of shows, and I. But then you know she started doing stuff like solo, and mm-hmm. and she was like writing in No Time to Die, and she was in Indiana Jones, and you're like, really like you, and you're really you're a great actress, and I think you're really funny, and I wish you all the success in the world, but. I, I, and why are you starring in this Indiana Jones movie? Right. Uh, I'm I'm gonna say that the the industry is so complicated, mm. and it's been and culture has only made it even more complicated. Right. Uh, and you know the culture of movie watching is I have like six free movie channels. And it used to be like you go to the movie channels if you don't want a good experience, you just want to be cheap. But now right. the free channels have like huge celebrities making indie pieces, and you know they're actually really good. Um, like on Freebie, there's like this uh, Jackie Chan movie called mm. Kung Fu Yoga, and I'm like, <laughs> man. I could really just veg at Kung Fu Yoga. And then I go to three other channels and there's like, oh, or I could watch this or I could watch that. And, and you know, my mind takes eight choices and gets so tired trying to think about them that I probably go and play Switch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 I'm right there with you, man. It's, it's, it's tough it's it's tough and i and i think that also kind of is what um kind of like leads into it too is like there's so much good content out right Mm -hmm. you know before it was like yeah of course everyone was watching seinfeld it was the only good thing on tv right (laughs) right like like sure friends is iconic but you throw you could throw a, a wet noodle and hit five other friends knockoffs that are just as successful now right right like there's you know it, you know we're spoiled for choice now and you know even stuff that you know was cool and popular you know three months ago is now getting canceled by netflix because they don't project enough money from it and right. it's it's crazy and i feel like every time you hear a statistic about the movie industry like even though you hear things about like movies making 60 million tv shows making 60 million 
there's always like some statistic that's like Netflix is like one nickel away from just crashing and burning. Like <laughs> Regal Cinemas is always in, you know, debt. Um, DreamWorks, you know, owes the mafia millions of dollars. Nothing is making money, even though it's taking all your money. Right. So I never understand the business. Right. And I, I think it's, it's always the, the periphery stuff that, that doesn't quite make money. It's these studios, right, that are just raking in the money. But hopefully, you know, maybe as we as we talk about more of these summer blockbusters, it'll be a wake-up call, right? Like, a lot of these movies spent hundreds of millions of dollars. And I, I can't really remember a summer where so many big, hyped movies have flopped so hard at the box office. Right. Yeah. It's hard to tell, like, what is actually good. There's, like, there's the social media hype, which scares you away from the movie. And then there's all, there's always that chance that you might still like it, despite all those low scores you see. So, I I walk, like, we're about to talk about two movies. And I walked out of both of them thinking, did I like that? (laughs) <laughs> I I want to say yes, but the internet might get angry. I might have to I have to come up with like an eight page thesis of why I liked it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's fair, Mike. So, I mean, I I guess now is as good a time as as any to to move into it. So, Mike, did we want to talk about? Um, yeah, what 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 are we what are we talking about uh, on this so, on this episode? You know how the internet loves arguing and debating. Mm-hmm. And it's the most uh, amazing thing. People love arguments over the internet. <laughs> well, me being a hopeless DC fan and and you being a lover of good movies that try hard, <laughs> um, I think we should talk from our own position Um, I gave you the low-hanging fruit of awesomeness. I gave you Spider-Man across the Mm Spider-Verse. And I'm taking The Flash, two movies that came out less than a month apart from each other, um, who strangely have a lot of similar themes. It's almost like the writers traded notes, or maybe DC uh, just really liked what that Spider-Man was doing. Right. So I thought we could talk side-by-side... Um, you know, you are more than welcome to flex your movie. <laughs> um, I've seen them both, so I understand flexes. Yeah. Uh, both sides of the argument. I will try my best to explain why The Flash is worth your time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we can, we can try, and then people can get... People can make their own decision about what movie it was the better summer blockbuster. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean it's. Yeah, I, I <laughs> Mike, I I don't envy I don't envy your position, um, because I definitely think it's an uphill an uphill battle. Um, and but I I also I also want to say that. Um, I think it's okay to like things 
that uh, you know the the critics or the box office tell you that you're not supposed to like. I think it's okay. I think we live in a in a time where mm-hmm. um, everyone wants to be right, everyone wants to be correct, everyone wants to have the best opinion, and you know, at least for me. And I know that this is very, you know, this is very hard to come by, especially in our nerd, you know, geeky headspace that we live in. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I I try to, like, split my brain, right? Like, part of me is always going to be a fan, right? I love, I love things. I love, you know, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man mm-hmm. 1, 2, and 3. I, I think they're wonderful. I love them. I enjoy them. But then there's a critic part of me that lives separate to that. And I'm like, that movie's camp. It just is. And it's not, it's not great. <laughs> Spider-Man yeah. is swinging and he's like a dummy and her, MJ's hair is pointing the wrong way. And, and, you know, Green Goblin blows up a building and he yells at an old lady to finish praying the Lord's <laughs> Prayer. And like, it's... <laughs> And he looks like he's wearing a Power Ranger outfit. And, you know, I, the internet will come for me. And they'll, they'll, they'll yell at me and they'll say, how dare you say mm-hmm. that, you know, Spider-Man 1 and 2 and maybe maybe 3, maybe not 3, are, you know, classics and they're perfect movies. And I'll say to you, uh, no, <laughs> they're, they're not great. <laughs> like, like Peter Parker just delivering pizzas. Why, why did we get a scene like that? What's. What's the, the, the point of that? And why did all the actors look like they were 30? Like, I don't get it. Um, right. and but like, it's it's okay to light things. Right. I mean, I, I look at Citizen Kane, mm. and Citizen Kane is considered the greatest movie of all time. Right. You know, it was groundbreaking. Orson Welles was amazing. Yada, right. yada, yada. But, like, it definitely has... It doesn't have the improvements in the new, the modern stuff that we have today. It doesn't have some of the, the director tips and the tricks. And, you know, it's okay to look at that movie and, you know, people want to say it's classic and timeless and amazing. But you can say that movie is missing some stuff that like the 20th, 21st century kind of like figured it out. Right. Right. Like the Apple II computer, it was a great computer and it was, you know, groundbreaking, but it's definitely missing stuff (laughs) that (laughs) Windows 11 has. And it's okay to say that. Right. And, you know, you know, don't get me wrong. Of course, 2001 A Space Odyssey is perfect, right? It's the pinnacle of science fiction. But... If you ask me which I would rather watch, 2001 A Space Odyssey or Bill Pullman and Rick Moranis and John Candy and Spaceballs, I'll take Spaceballs 10 times out of 10. Right. And that's the other side of the coin is taste and preference. Right. So I think we just came up with an argument to get rid of all, <laughs> all like, uh, critics. I mean, the funny No, thing- we need it, though. We need them. Right. I, well, I mean, it's, it's, such, it's such a catch-22, Adam. Mm. Uh, do I want your... When I, when I listen to a critic, I yeah. want him to have the copy-paste of my brain. <laughs> and that 
that might not be the case. Right. Um, what you call right. ugly visual effects, I might just be like, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> what you might call overacting might be totally cool with me. Right, right. So you'll, you never know, like, if right. the critic that you're trying to learn from mm. um, is thinking like you. Right. No, for sure. And I, I think it comes down to two fundamentally different things, right? You're watching things to enjoy things, right, Mike? You, that's, you're going to theater saying, is this going to entertain me bang for buck? And mm -hmm. the critic is like, is this art? They're watching for art. And, you know, that's, that, those are two very different places to be, Mike. Yeah. Which is why my scoring system is based on, like, <laughs> eye, eyebrows raising, like, right. creases in the lips of causing a smile. Right. Um, <laughs> it's based on heart rate going up. <laughs> What you, you you know you don't watch the B movie with a a Marxist neoliberal viewpoint. Um, I I when I watched the B movie, I had to I had to compare it to sixties uh, French cinema, and because if it didn't relate, what's why am I watching this? Like, I I watched Paddington Two with a black turtleneck and I smoked a cigarette <laughs> the whole time. Right. Well, back to our topic. Um, funny enough, Anyways, there, was, yeah. there was one guy who watched the Flash movie and wrote a positive review and he got death threats. According, oh, no. According to him on like Letterboxd. So it's a good thing that people don't take movies seriously. Not, yeah, that's not cool. Don't do that. <laughs> right. But anyways, I'm I'm here to be the lawyer that this movie needs. Yes. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to present it from a brand new mm. uh, standpoint. And you're going to walk away thinking, man, I owe it to myself to see this movie. So, yeah. So, um, are you ready, Adam? Yeah. Hit me. Okay. So first we're going to talk about plot and pacing in our respective mm. movies. Sure. So t talk to me about Spider-Verse in regards to plot and pacing. If you want to go first, I can go first <laughs> if you. No, no, it's fine. Um so I mean, this movie was 140 minutes, so just over like well, almost like what, two and a half hours. Um just under two and a half hours, which is very long for an animated movie. Um and it it definitely um it definitely doesn't lag. Uh there are um I think really what helps it is that the each it feels like each scene is either a painted like the Mona Lisa and it's just beautiful and you just look at it and you're like I can't even imagine the human beings that it took to create this right. and so you're constantly you know you're seeing things moving in the background it's just wonderfully animated um, and um, I, I think Miles is just such a a great um, focal for the uh, the you know the audience to um, to, to experience the movie through, you know, you're learning about the multiverse as, you know, Miles is learning it, and it doesn't go too fast, it doesn't go too slow, and it definitely, you know, it holds your hand when it needs to explain the science mumbo-jumbo, but it also lets, you know, the audience mind kind of just wander and just enjoy, you know, what what's happening, and, you know, I think the soundtrack is great, and I think that helps with the pacing, and really, it just feels like a roller coaster ride, and 
Um, and it's just, I think it's paced well, and it's it's definitely carried heavily along by its um, its animation and you know literally every scene just seems like the a perfect screensaver excellent mm. excellent and how does the plot like mm. was it a worthy plot in terms of what the superheroes were looking uh, you know superhero plots go today <laughs> sure yeah i mean i i think it's hard to judge because it's um it's part one of a part two and um, so I, I guess I would, I personally just have to kind of see how they'll wrap it up. But I do think that whenever you're dealing with multiverses and time travel and all that kind of stuff, it's very easy to get a multiverse of madness or, um, you know, whatever. Uh, and, you know, there's more more of those than there are Back to the Futures. Uh, but I think that the plot... Um, I think the plot is greatly moved along because you're really, you know, you're really rooting for Miles, and it, it really does feel like the first superhero movie um, since maybe like Shang Chi or you know some whatever you know has recently come out for Marvel, where you've really felt like you're rooting for the main character, and the main character doesn't feel like a total jerk, um, right? And you're and you're like, oh, this guy is like pretty great, um, and I I love. Um, the plot beats with Miles and his family. Um, I love that they just didn't um, leave their relationship where it was in the first one, that they're building off of it and they're maturing. And I think that there's just a lot of good threads um, that were left out in this movie, like the, you know, the relationship between Gwen and uh, Miles. And then, you know, the introduction of Peter B. Parker back into the story with, you know, his child. And um, Mm -hmm. I mean, by the way, spoilers. Oh yeah, right. Spoilers. I mean, if you haven't seen this movie, if you haven't seen this movie yet, then I, I don't, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what you're, what you're doing, what you're missing out. Go, go see these movies. Um, but I mean, in Oscar Isaac's, um, you know, as Spider-Man 2099, and you know, you know, they do such a great job of introducing Spot, and at first you're like, oh yeah, haha, he's such a dork. And you're like, oh, I, I made a mistake. And as you, as the audience, you made the mistake. So too, as Miles made the mistake of underestimating Spot. And um, I think that's what I kind of really appreciate about the plot for this movie, is that um, you know, in the the original MCU, right? Like it was the plot was this bad guy, this good guy, and we're gonna beat it to you know we're gonna beat it up. And then as things got more mature and you kind of think figure out. It, it becomes less and less black and white. It becomes more areas of gray, right? Like Spot, of course, is the big bad. But also, really, the biggest thing that Miles is dealing with is, like, questions of morality and questions of, you know, is it is it okay to sacrifice an entire universe to save those that you love? Um, and I think it's those shades of gray um, that Miles is exploring while also dealing with a big, you know, a big, you know, a pardon the pun, a big spot of black um, mm-hmm. is, you know, I, I think it's great. It's it's good storytelling and um, it, it kind of gives the audience a lot to think about but also while keeping the character, it, keeping it character driven and character strong, unlike Eternals where it just feels like a hot mess of, a, like a big tangled mess. Like it's, it's easy to keep track of, driven by strong characters and, um, and it, it's easy to keep track of. Mm-hmm. 
Right. Well, let me tell you about the Flash. Hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. So many people will tell you that the Flash came out at the wrong time. It's getting trounced. It got delayed too many times, and it's it's not worth your it's not worth the money it's printed on. And I want you all to give it a second look if if you're too afraid to see the movie, because the movie does introduce some things to superhero fandom movies that uh, have never been introduced before. Um, just like similar to Adam's movie, it is 143 minutes long. Um, it's a long movie, so you're going to get a lot of plot points, a lot of side plots. Uh, the movie does chug along at a pretty good rate. You know, it doesn't get, it doesn't like to get stuck too many places, but it still has moments where it's trying to make you cry. Um, if any hero story can make you cry i think it's the flash because the flash is all about a good boy barry trying to do what's right trying to help everyone and uh, you know finding out he can and so you'll have moments of that where you know he's telling his mom i love you i you know i love you why'd you have to die and then it will jump into other moments where it feels like a stoner comedy and that's kind of that kind of throws you off a little bit. You're like, what superheroes aren't supposed to be stoner comedies? But Ezra Miller, um, interacting with the younger Ezra Miller, totally turns it into a stoner comedy. And I can see why that throws people off. But I'm also delighted by the fact that someone would try it. Um, if you liked Pineapple Express, if you liked um, anything from um how high you know just people laughing at stupid jokes and hanging out in their underwear um there's like a good chunk of that and it tries to make the brevity and the levity of the humor in the movie and then the movie when it's not trying to do that it'll throw in something that the flash has to accomplish like getting struck by lightning or having to figure out who that weird guy was in the time stream, or, you know, figuring out why he's in the wrong universe. Um, and by the time it hits the third act, like, or the end of the second act, the third act is, is all about Batman kind of reliving his role, um, showing you that he's still got it. Um, but at the same time, showing like the spirit of gratefulness that he's Batman, um, and then it kind of just dumps you off at the first main villain, which is Zod, and it retells the story of how Zod took over the Earth. And similar, similar to the Spider-Verse movie, it, it does end on a sad note, if you think about it. A really sad note. Like these, Both of these movies have one thing in common, and is that they are deliberately trying to depress you. And I think Adam's movie does a little bit better job depressing me, but uh, the flash was right up there. All right. Mm. Adam. Yes. Are you ready for the second topic? Yeah. Hit me. 
maybe I should go first so you can volley back. Sure. All right. So, the visual. Uh, how does the story fit into the comic book world or the fandom world? Like I said, we have Barry, and uh, they really the director or the writer really wanted to nail the fact that Barry uh, really misses his mom and feels guilty for her death. And I think that is that that storyline has always been ripe for a movie. The movie is really good at setting up how much he wants it. And it's really cool to see Ben Affleck um, trying to give him wisdom of why he shouldn't do it. And like, even though like Ben Affleck as Batman, he's like, I know you could go back and you could stop my parents from dying, but these, the star, the scars that they made have formed, like they became my identity and you can't go back and change your identity. And you know, that, that story has always been begged to be told. And when it was told in the flashpoint series, it made, it made an excellent, excellent, uh, premise for uh, a super comic event so it's always been begging to be made a movie it's not your it's not your casual like super alien comes in destroys the world we got to team up kill everybody um it's more like the you made a moral boo-boo and you you selfishly trying to save your own world you ruin someone else's world and so i really like how that took off and I think up up until like the end of the movie, like the movie was heading there, but I don't think it got there. But I really enjoyed the journey. Mm. And, you know, it's the Flash. So we <laughs> haven't seen a lot of the Flash in the superhero world. Um, and seeing the cool things you could do as the Flash was... Uh, he, you got treated in this movie. The way that he ran... The way that he uh, could use lightning, force lightning from his running, the ways he uh, he could speed around people as they're moving in slow motion. I know we've seen it. The X-Men, they took that and they ran with it. And now the Flash is in second place. Um, you know, Quicksilver, you win the round. Uh, but I think the Flash kind of has fun with it too, and I don't think he would miss out. Yeah, I mean, I, my my problem with that though is, like, I don't even think that in his own like DC, you know, universe, cinematic universe, they they do it that well in his own movie. Like, I think his how they portray his moving in like mm-hmm. Justice League and stuff is way cooler. And I mean, I I know I haven't seen the Flash movie, but I've I've seen subsequent clips now, but. You know the the flash, you know the flash running and and stuff is definitely a, a highlight of Justice right. League. And they they you know I think, um, you know Zack Snyder's version. I mean it just felt more impactful and I don't know maybe, maybe it was because it was in grayscale as opposed to just you know uh, yellow, but right. uh, I don't know it just it just felt cooler. I don't know. Well. You know, you're not going to get any groundbreaking flash moves or cool things. I mean, it's a guy running around for goodness sake. Um, <laughs> but if you're hungry for seeing the things that he does, including the cool tornado thing, 
Um, <laughs> yeah. You're, you're going to be well fed off of the action scenes of the flash. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So yeah. How I mean, story fit in. Um, so I, I think what I love about, um, the spider verse movies, um, is how much they take inspiration from different comic book runs and they take certain you know beats from you know from comic books mm-hmm. um but then they really try to make it their own story and it's definitely more of a an adaptation to the screen as opposed to trying to make a shot for shot um mm-hmm. retelling of a of a story and um, you know, if you're going to, you know, a superhero movie and you're looking for comic book realistic, like shot for shot remake, then you know you're gonna be disappointed. But mm-hmm. I, um, I think that this movie does a really great job of of adapting, um, you know, story beats. I, I mean, for for example, um, I think this movie does a really great job of digging more into Gwen and. Um, her universe and her story beats, um, like for example, in her in her current um, her current run, um, she much like in the movie, she kind of um, does get she get she gets accused of of killing um, her universe's Peter Parker um, uh-huh. after he, um, you know, uh, transforms into that universe's um, lizard and. Uh, so, you know, check marks there. And then um, you know, she has to reveal her identity to her dad, check mark there. Um, but how it does differ is, you know, how she gets um you know, how she gets her her dad um back on her side. He quits the force and um and it, you know, the where where it divulges from, you know, the comic book arc, it makes sense. Like they're not just doing it frivolously; they're they're doing it with a purpose um, to make sense in the story, overall story that they're telling. And mm-hmm. I mean, of course, like Donald Glover making a a cameo as Prowler um, from the MCU, it you know that that doesn't exist in the comic book, but it's it, it makes sense in the context of a multiverse movie. And mm-hmm. um, I I think that the way um. And I, that's why I think the you know the Spider Verse is such um, a good expression of what it what it looks like when um, you try to mash up the medium of comic book and film, and you see it right at the beginning of the movie, right? Like they they sh- they show the the comic book code, um, you know, seal right at the beginning of the movie. So you know, right from the start, they're telling you. This is, you, you know, you're viewing this as a comic book. This is a comic book. This is our own comic book. This is our own story. This is our own run. This is, you know, we're taking all these characters, but we're making our own individual mm-hmm. story. And, um, yeah, and I think in terms of, like, a, a multiverse story, like, it's so it's so difficult. Um, but they, they're able to take all these characters and um, they make them all significant. And um you know i the you know the the big characters that i think that they get right and they feel they feel really good um in terms of like in the movie and mhm 
You still there? Uh-oh. I seem to have lost Adam. Check, Adam? check, check. Oh, there you are. Oh, okay. no, I've been talking. <laughs> what was the last thing you heard me um, say? You just go back like five seconds. Um, let's see. Uh, I was talking about... Oh, okay. Um, so I'll say... Um, I think that they... The characters that they need to nail just feel very accurate to their, their comic book counterparts. Like, Miles, you gotta nail Miles, but he, he feels... Um, he feels right, right? Like, he, he, he doesn't feel... Um, he doesn't feel exaggerated. He doesn't feel silly. He doesn't feel camp. He's like, oh, yeah, this is... You know, he feels like his character, right? Like, he he's dealing with being an extremely gifted, um, you know, teenager from a, a biracial family. Um, you know, you get the big beats um, from his, his comic book origins. And you're like, okay, it's cool. And then you're like, he gets the spider. He gets the spider powers um, in the comic. And then in, you know, in the, in, across the Spider-Verse, he, he also gets bit. But then yeah. he realized that the spider's from another dimension. Like, oh, oh okay, that's cool. And then they, they really kind of take, you know, these beats, but then they make it their, um, they make it your, their own. And, like, for, for example, like with, uh, you know, Spider-Gwen, right? Like, in uh-huh. the comics, and then, you know, we'll, we'll see this into Sony live action, um, where we get, like, the, the spider, Spider-Woman, Spider-Girl movie, uh-huh. the... Um, you know, you know, Gwen, you know, starts her own interdimensional um, sort of time time group, right? Like the 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 Spider Gwens, mm-hmm. and um, you know, so there there's aspects um, that they took inspiration from in the comic, and um, but they made it their own, and you know, if if there was ever going to be a Spider Man that leads a you know, uh, a cult of uh, of Spider Man protecting the universe. It's going to be Spider Man twenty ninety nine, and you know, it, every every choice that they make for their characters um, makes sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think that's the the biggest thing. And I think if you view the movie um, as as less of a just a straight up shot for shot remake of the characters, and it said how can we create a new original story inspired by all these characters and their original stories? Um, I think that's, that's why the movie shines so much because I, as it, it takes something that everyone is familiar with and comfortable with, like everybody knows Spider-Man, everyone loves Spider-Man, right? Like Spider-Man is, you know, you, you look at every list, right? And Spider-Man always tops it, right? It's always, you know, Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, you know, the, those are the, the guys, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe Iron Man more recently. But, you know, those are the guys. And you take what's comfortable and you make it original, but you don't stray away from what makes them um, so good, right? And, um, you know, I think that you see that where, you know, the studios kind of make mistakes is, like, when you bring Ryan Reynolds in to play Deadpool and X-Men um, and you literally sew his mouth shut. You're like, you just don't fundamentally understand the character of Deadpool. Right. <laughs> right. And... Um, where as opposed to, you know, the, um, the, the Spider-Verse movies, the people making these movies, they understand their characters and they adapt it well. And, mm-hmm. um, and they, they don't try to, they don't try to go too, too crazy. Right. Right. So I will say, 
Mm. I had no idea what I was getting to when I did see the spider across the spider verse movie. And some of it just gives you whiplash. I mean, I just talked about how the, Mm. the tone can change in the flash, but I felt the same way about across the spider verse as you know, it starts with the melodrama of Gwen. Then you have those, you know, funny scenes of him fighting the spot and how silly that can be. And then, you know, it cuts to, you know, the seriousness of, um, in Spider-Man's life, a police chief commissioner must always die, which I didn't know that was, I didn't know that was canon. Like I, I, that that's definitely not canon from growing up as Spider-Man. Um, I know James Garfield made that big, but that <laughs> was kind of a weird choice from that kind of threw me off. Cause I was like, really? Like I, I only know of one police chief that died. And and if that's supposed to if that's supposed to be like a canon event, like what's what's that supposed to it's supposed to develop Spider-Man, he's supposed to learn from the police chief's death. But I'm like, didn't he already learn like most of his lessons from Uncle Ben's death? So I don't know. That kind of threw me off, but you know, like I had to suspend what I already knew about Spider-Man, but I'm like, okay. You know, I can I can just say for this movie that's true. Um, yeah, and, and I think I think that they kind of definitely the way that they explained it I think was I think a lot of the Spider Men and ladies had people in their lives that like um, that happened to be police captains and they happened to die and I think you know I think that they took that story beat that I think is repeated throughout different mm-hmm. iterations of Spider-Man. And then they were like, okay, these are... They, they created the idea of it being a canon event. I don't think that... Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think that... You know, if you ask comic book... You know, if you ask Stan Lee, I don't think that they would say, yeah, this is like... This has to happen. I think it's just kind of... Mm-hmm. Because that the story of the original Peter Parker is just so iconic that people just riff on it, you know? Right. You know, I was a little disappointed that they were going to the topic of death again, because, you know, losing Ben, like when you talk about Spider-Man, it always has to be about death, right? Oh my gosh, someone died. I know Batman, he he falls into that too. And, you know, a part of me is like, yes, we've all been there. You, you lost someone. It made you who you are. Uh, Flash, you lost someone. Batman, you lost someone. Um, I know death is the hot new thing for superheroes 2023, but you know, I was kind of like, can we get past that? Can it, can we talk about a part of Spider-Man's life, a part of someone else's life? That's just not about look what this death made me into. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I would say that that's not really the, 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 the argument of the movie, right? Like, they're like the whole po- the whole point of the movie is that Miles is trying to prevent that, right? Like he's right. he's saying that he doesn't need that death to, to to you know like he like he's going all out to try to save his dad, right? Like he's trying right. to to reverse that canon. But I mean, I would say that it's the same thing for the Flash, right? Like his right. whole thing about him going in you know changing the multiverse is you know through Flashpoint is that he wants to he wants to say, but he ends up. You know, you know, the universe is doomed and everyone dies. You know, he doesn't save his mom, right? His mom still dies. Yep. And, you know, he, and, but yeah, I still think that, 
you know the you know the same thing sort of applies but i it feels like it feels even darker because like in you know in the flash like keaton's universe is doomed like no matter what flash does like everyone yeah. still dies like supergirl dies like keaton's like they all still and you know even though flash you know has the ability mm-hmm. to, to go through time and change like that's that's immutable like that yeah. change right it's canon it's like these movies these movies cross over on so many things um it's funny yeah yeah so going to the next topic the visual effects um yeah adam talk to us about how spider-man is just amazing (laughs) well i mean i think it's a little unfair i think it's you're talking about two different mediums, right? Like it's still, you know, it's still a um, a movie, of course, but um, mm-hmm. one's animated and and one is, you know, CGI kind of um, real life action dependent. And um, yeah, I mean, I if you spend the same amount of money um, on an animation budget that you do on a CGI budget you're just going to get a better quality outcome from the CGI or from the, not from the CGI, from the animation. Um, and um, because I think that the, the, the uncanny Valley is different um, between the two, right? Like you're watching an animated movie. You're like, okay, yeah, it's, I understand why there's a, you know, a parchment colored vulture you know, flying around the Guggenheim in New York yeah. city. Right. Like I get that. I can suspend my disbelief. And it looks cool, and it's yeah. awesome, and I can you really welcome you know, it actually, right? And you know, because it's animated, right? But then, right. um, but then you know, you kind of you look at how they, you know, they they didn't want to have Henry Cavill in, you know, the Flash, but then they they awkwardly CGI his body in really poorly, or you know, you you have you know, sixty year old Michael Keaton somehow ninja kicking his way through a russian stronghold like okay like that was cool uh, no very cool but i think the um the the amount that you have to suspend your disbelief for one over the other is you know the uncanny valley for Mm -hmm. you know for the flashes is is much more real than it is for for across the spider-verse but um into the Spider-Verse or whatever. Um, I forgot the movie I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, no, I, 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 it's beautiful. I mean, what, what you guys have all seen the stills, and you know, it's really a, an achievement, right? Each, you know, different scenes are in different art styles, all reflecting the individual Spider-Man. Um, I think it's seamless. They, they play with frame rates. Um, they, they play with color. Um, they play with you know, different art styles and, mm-hmm. you know, it's, yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a real, um, it's a real masterpiece and a real masterclass in, in animation. So, um, right. but I, I, I also think it's, it's an unfair comparison, I think. Well, here's my argument. Um, so you have the WB multi-billion dollar studio. Okay. Sure. They came out with the Harry Potter series. People would say that's a CGI masterpiece or very competently done. For sure. They've come out with lots of sci-fi movies. Um, and they have the whole DC um, in their pocket. Now, DC 
as some of the most beautiful artists in comic book history. No one would disagree with that. No. Um, they can afford people who draw great pictures. So people often wonder, like, why? what's the disconnect in the movies? Why is, this, why is Justice League look bad in some parts and look cringe in other parts? Why does Aquaman look like PS3 graphics? Um, and why in the flash does the uh, Ben Affleck Batman's costume look like it's made out of purple play-doh like that bothered the crap out of me it's like that's a choice Mm -hmm. Um, when when the building is exploding and eight babies fall out of the building um, they do look like slightly better than boss baby models and you know it makes you wonder like like who's drawing this? This is definitely not like the smartest people at DC working um, on this thing. This is definitely feels like someone is someone's subbing in for it's an intern. Um, but then I think I think that maybe maybe the DC studios and you can prove me if I'm wrong. I know this movie has had delays and all that stuff, and that could have caused it. But a part of me thinks that maybe DC is like, we have to try something new, something radical. And, you know, the the Flash is one of the lesser serious, lesser gritty superheroes. So maybe they thought, you know, let's make these babies kind of look cartoonish. You know, let's make some of this, some of this 2D stuff kind of look cartoonish and weird. And some of it feels like... uh, like a choice that they were trying to do to fit the theme. And so it's not fair to say that the flash in some aspects looks ugly. As you can tell, they were, they were trying to make a visual collage, whether you think they succeeded or failed is neither here nor there, but I don't think it's from lack of wisdom in some parts. I just think they were like the director is trying to say, you know, these are the pictures in my head when I look at this thing. And, you know, it's bright and it's colorful. And, you know, if you're trying to, if you're trying to compare explosion to explosion, like Guardians of the Galaxy 3, their explosion versus this, you're not going to get the same product. So I would, it didn't, it didn't bother me as much as the internet said it should have bothered me. Um, I know, like, except for Batman's Play-Doh outfit. That bothered the crap out of me. Yeah. Um, But, like, everything else just kind of felt like they were honoring, like, the the artist that was in charge of, like, really good Flash series. So, that's my take on it. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know. I, I think a lot of it has to do with On, on, on what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. I really do think it comes down um, to studio interference and kind of like what they wanted to kind of get done and like what they wanted to see on and what they didn't want to spend money on. And um, I think that they, I think that they, they just kind of committed the cardinal sin of uh, these like modern 
blockbusters where like they they're like oh we spent 240 million dollars on the cgi it has to be good but then you kind of you see nicholas cage kind of float by and then like you know christopher reeves and like all these like all these people that were like <laughs> that weren't in the movie but then like weirdly like cgi'd into it like why for what purpose and they didn't even look good and you know against a lot of their wishes and um even like they uh they had a cameo from uh uh one of the flashes from a tv show and when they asked the actor about it he was like yeah i didn't film that they just used <laughs> they just used my likeness you know from the the tv show that they had and i think um I think that's I think that's the 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 problem people had. I think when mm. when they you know when they chose to spend money on stuff and they chose to make it look good, they it looked it looked good. But when they you know decided to cheap out on stuff, it looked really bad. And like you can you can tell and um you know not to say that like you know other movies like um you know, in the MCU, you know, haven't, you know, cheaped out on certain things. Like, you know, you look at stuff from, like, Black Panther or, um, you know, uh, Multiverse of Madness and stuff. You, you point to some of the CGI or, and you know, Quantumania and you're like, ooh, the, ugh, the, not great, not great choices. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I think it's tough. And then, like, you kind of see stories as they came out that, like, you know, they, they lifted you know, audio from YouTube MP3 files um, for the CGI cameos or, you know, mm-hmm. the, the the money that they chose to spend on, you know, on, you know, instead of just having Henry Cavill make a cameo, they just chose to CGI, CGI him in on, you know, just on an amalgamation of his, mm-hmm. you know, of his appearances and their other stuff. It's just like, why did you spend money on that? You could have just used them. Um, yeah, so I think that that's, I think that's the problem with it. And and I also think it really comes down to also the director. Like I think Zack Snyder really cared about what the CGI looked like and what you know yeah. the what his movie looked like. You know, whereas you know some of the other stuff, you're just like, I don't, I don't know if they really cared that much. You know, you look at some. You know, you look at some, and, and don't get me wrong, like this, the Snyder Cut definitely is very, you know, it's very self-aggrandizing, and it's very like, you know, mm-hmm. it's a passion pride project, and I get that. You look at his stuff, and you're like, this is beautiful. Like this is this will go toe to toe with anything MCU has put right. out, and you're just like, yeah, like why can't you do this across his stuff? Like. Man of Steel, like, sure, like, you're going to get some whiplash watching this movie, but it had some really beautiful shots and great color palette choices. And, right. You know, things were framed correctly, and action was shot nice and wasn't just shot at this right. weird kind of, like, low whip pan angle. Like, you're just like, what? I can't, you know, some stuff is just unwatchable. And even no. stuff like in Aquaman, when you're like, you know, this is supposed to be Atlantis. It's supposed to be beautiful, but it just kind of looks dingy. You know, like it's. I think some directors cared more than others. Yeah, like this this movie, especially The Flash, is bogged down with delays and yeah, as you said, 
Um, it's, you know, studio interference. And I, I really think that's why that universe had to die. Yeah. Not so much about uh, Zack Snyder, but just because whip that like anyone who tries to touch his work, he just whips them real quick. <laughs> you know, I, I'm excited to give the DC another chance. Um, and I think that's always plagued them. I think, I think the philosophies between the WB seeing the look how much money we can make for people who like DC versus Mar or, uh, Disney, look at how much we can glorify Marvel and bring it into the new age are two different philosophies. And I really wish, really wish that uh, the DC had that philosophy or a visionary that had that philosophy. I mean, look at the Flash television show. Um, you, you might not like the guy who makes those DC shows and spinoffs, but you can tell he has a vision um, that he in a philosophy when making them. Yeah. So. Yeah, it has a unifying design, and yeah, I and I I think that's. I think that's why it's a it's a little I don't want to say it's an unfair comparison but you know it's hard it's hard to talk about it because I think when you know the DC universe when the Flash looks good it looks great yeah but sadly like as many highs as there are there are equally bad lows and right, I right. I think it's it's very easy to to, to cherry pick the uh, mm -hmm. you know the lows um. And you know, post it online, and, and and you know, talk about how, you know, how ridiculous kind of, you know, some of these the, the cameos looked or whatever. Like it, it's easy to cherry pick, but, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it it it's it's tough. And uh, part of it, I think, also is, um, it's hard to get people to 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 care about something that they know is dying, right? Like how like how do you get people to care about this? movie that takes place in a universe that's not going to exist in five years yeah. well most people were there just for the closure um they wanted they wanted us dc and this is so dc like when dc tries something new and it fails they have to do the give the universe an enema uh take where they just have to blow it up and start fresh they've done this six or seven times in their comic book universe. And it makes so much sense that they would do it in their movie universe. Um, it's, it's a sign. I mean, part of it is a negative because it's a, it's a sign that you, you what you try didn't work, but at the mm -hmm. same time, it's DC has done it so many times. Um, you got to give them credit because usually people are like, wow, you know, seventh time something doesn't work. Maybe we shouldn't be in this business, but they're like, no, let's try it an eighth time. You yeah. know, let's use James Gunn's grandson. Maybe, <laughs> maybe he'll fix this world for us. Yeah. So uh, love it or hate it. You're always going to get a DC that blows itself up at the slightest um, after like maybe a year, two years, three years of like, uh oh, the negatives outweigh the positives. Right, and so I mean, I, I guess that kind of leads me to um, a question that I guess I had, and you know, of course, I, I, you know, 
I, I guess I always have to temper what I say with I I, know I haven't seen the movie, so I guess I, I you know I'm relying on um you in this. But do you feel like they really ended the universe? Because based on you know the reactions and reviews that I've been reading, people don't really feel like it was as final as they wanted, and it felt like the studio was leaving the door open for a sequel, and they were hoping for you know, a, a second, like a second movie. So what, it wasn't closure as in like goodbye DC. It was more of like, uh, information to explain how James Gunn's universe could exist. Right. Um, at the end of the movie, you see like these giant Christmas ornaments and each one is a different DC universe. One of them has, Nicholas Cage is Superman. One of them has the black and white, you know, serials and the the radio of the Flash and Superman. And um, then there's like Michael Keaton's world. Um, and so you're like, oh, I get it. All these worlds. Um, and we're going to get a brand new world. So it kind of gave your brain an excuse not to worry about, well, what happened to all that other stuff? Mm. Um, and it gave your brain like, like, oh, oh, I'm not supposed to worry about that other stuff because there's so many other worlds. And by the way, DC, that's the, their bread and butter is like, mm. whenever we have a new idea, we just create a new Earth. They do that in the comic books. You got Earth 1, 2, Prime, Earth S. Right. Um, and they love throwing those worlds together and creating a mess. I kind of wish it was more like a final crisis or a crisis on infinite earths um, where you throw in different Supermans, different Batmans, and they all have to like fight it out or work together to keep mm. their worlds from imploding on themselves. But it was more like Flashpoint. Um, Flashpoint was supposed to be all about like the time. It's, it's supposed to be less about multiverses. It's supposed to be more like the timeline. So right. I can see the confusion. Sure. Um, sure. Because they made it about the multiverse when it was really supposed to be about the timeline. Um, you know, it was supposed to be where the flash ran so fast that everything changed and renewed right. itself. Mm-hmm. And then we learned later it was Dr. Manhattan who created the DC universe just <laughs> because he wanted to experiment on what uh, right. morality and justice looked like. Right. So, you know, you get that. But, you know, this this one kind of like it it gave you an out for like, okay, I can let go of the DC universe because it's just one Christmas ornament amongst millions. And, you know, in a way that is kind of lame. Like that's that's like, oh, okay, I'm so glad I'm I'm being given permission not to invest in these worlds anymore. But at, at the other time, it's like it's cool. It's like um, for the older folks, they're like, oh, yes, I remember spending time in that earth with uh, Christopher Reeves. Oh, yes, I remember the, you know, the Keaton Batman. Oh, what a wonderful time to stay in that earth. Oh, yes. Of course, Grant Gustin's Flash was nowhere to be seen. Man, they really screwed that guy over. Right, uh, right. That would have been a great uh, cameo, but no. And like, I personally, I like the Nicolas Cage because it was kind of a head nod that mm. it does exist. I mean, you right. might have hated the way he looked, but it was a short scene. 
Right, and right. Very few people would understand what that means. Right, right. So I mean, I, I guess I've have, I have two questions. First one, I guess being I, so I get it. I guess thank you for your explanation. I I understand um, the perspective um, from that. Right, like like you're saying, I think Christmas ornament is, mm-hmm. is a good way to, to describe it. But um, I, I guess what I was more trying to get at was. Um, like this movie was supposed to be the final, like the final movie for like the the Zack Snyder, Joss Whedon, you know, hot mess or whatever that 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 was. Right. And it was supposed to be like this movie was supposed to be like okay, you know, that's gonna be you know th- that's not even gonna be a thought anymore, right? Like yeah, you know, all these all these characters are are gone, you know, right? Like you know, Ben Affleck's Batman is gonna be done. You know, Wonder Woman and Gal Gadot is is done. We're not signing back Henry Cavill, but right. they, but they they the way that the Flash ended, it still seemed like, you know, the studio WB was like, well, if we make enough money, maybe we'll come back, and it, right. like it didn't like it didn't feel like a very final like passing of the torch, because the, you know they they left like they left so many questions that could have been answered with you know they're like oh hey like we're going to end this with you know the you know the flash is helping arthur right coming out of of the bar right or yeah you know uh the movie you know like oh oh uh you know uh bruce wayne and um you know uh wonder woman are you know they're oh wow what what is this mission that they're on or whatever like uh right the way that they ended, they they were like it. It still felt like they, you know, they hadn't fully moved on. You know what I mean? They're like they're like we're done, unless yeah. right. And like, part of that, I think they're leaving the door a tiny crack open just in case, like cameos, sure. um, become the new cool thing. Yeah. Um. And yeah, it's it's pretty shameless attempt to do it. I would have loved if the Flash took a literal torch um, (laughs) and ran into the universe uh, where James Gunn was waiting and handed him the torch. (laughs) That might have been better. I like... Right. um, But what I... I I don't know. What I think is they're leaving the door open just in case they can get those free dollars off of another cameo Right. And yeah, that's lame. Um, the one thing that I I feel like the movie really screwed up on was the moral of this story. Mm. Um the moral of this story is you don't go back in time and change things because right. it it ruins the world that uh created you. It it ruins your legacy and it, it messes with other people's legacies. Uh if you try to change things, Michael Keaton becomes Batman. So Barry was supposed to learn that. In fact, there's evil Barry, which, you know, evil Barry tries to stop good Barry from changing things back because, you know, evil Barry thinks he can change the world whenever he feels like it. Um, so Barry gets into this huge fight and they he decides he has to go back and make sure that his mom does perish but then stupidly he changes one thing so his dad doesn't go to jail 
And so thus unlearning the whole entire moral of the story. And it, he goes into a brand new world where it is uh, the Batman and Robin Batman and not, uh, uh, and not Ben Affleck. So apparently the new world that Barry lives in has, uh, what's his name? What's the Batman and Robin actor? Oh, uh, oh no. After oh, Adam Gilbert. West. Adam West. Oh, uh, uh, George Clooney. George Clooney. So, so apparently, even if you wanted to be invested in the D, the Snyderverse DC, you have to have George Clooney as Batman instead of Ben Affleck. And that was like the joke at the end. Like, uh-oh, I did it again. And so they really peed the moral of the story down his pants. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but you know, at the same time, they're everyone's washing their hands of it and getting ready for uh, the new stuff. So you can do something dumb if you're not if you don't have to think about it. Uh, but the opposite is the Spider Verse movie, where you know how I, I feel like the the great thing about the Spider Verse movies is that they could take their time Mm. and they could make it as beautiful as they want. And there was no pressure, but this one ending on a to be continued. Do you think that adds pressure? Do you think that adds like, Oh my gosh, we, we have to be perfect now. Like we have to stick to the paint by numbers. Um, I, I think the answer would be yes. If, this movie was the first one, if that makes yeah. sense. Because I think the, the, the first Spider-Verse movie was so was so good and so perfect mm-hmm. that I think the, the expectations going into this movie were so high um, to yeah. the point that some people were doubting that it could even been, like come close. And the fact that mm-hmm. I think takes off and 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 so i think it's um the bird mm-hmm. they they don't they don't have to um they don't have to come up with a, a completely original story instead it's mm-hmm. like this is just like the continuation of the story that we've already created and you know i don't know how far along they are in the short and wording process but you know i, I think that there's a, a little bit more grace with this one, um, yeah, mm-hmm. like, uh, so yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that there's an inherent weight of, of, of responsibility and, and risk when you create something that, that that's so beloved, um, and you know, it, it's hard to do across a trilogy. So yeah, like. This is one of those movies where I felt like I had to watch it again. Yeah. Because a part of me, like, it was hitting different parts of my brain than the original hit. The original sure. hit, like, and it and the humor aspect, because it was kind of fresh off of the Lego movie, so it needed to resemble some of the humor of the Lego movies. And in this new one, they're like, okay, we're going to go a little bit darker, a little bit more depressing. We're still going to have some jokes. And honestly, those jokes kind of feel out of place. Like when he looks into the Lego universe of Spider-Man, 
<laughs> like, uh, you know, that doesn't fit seeing like the dark world of Gwen and her being uh, kicked out of her family. And so that was that was weird, but like it wasn't like totally unwelcome. But I can I can also see why people are like. I I think I liked the original one because it was more lighter. Did you feel like the lightness was gone and that it hurt the movie, or did you like the the, the kind of the darker tone? Well, I mean, I I I. <laughs> And I think it's, ooh, ooh, it's it's tough because I I like movies that are inherently darker. I I think that they play with more. Um, I think that this one played with more. It, it questioned more. Um, and it, I think it it makes you look at the it makes you look at the character of Spider Man um a little differently. Like, so I think if you you know you ask anybody. You know what? What is the the great? And you talked about what was the moral of, of, of the Flash. I think if you ask anybody who's a Spider-Man fan, like what is the what is generally the the mantra of Spider-Man, right? Like with great power comes great responsibility, right? Mm-hmm. And you know the what that what that looks like is like for for Peter Parker, um, that 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 great responsibility is is more than just. You know, it's more than just like fighting evil, right? Like it's it's all encompassing. It's it's everything in it, it's all his choices. Like he chooses, you know, he chooses um he chooses his responsibility to keep people safe over his relationships with with you know with Mary Jane. Right. You know, it, he chooses to keep New York City safe at the expense of you know Aunt May. Yeah. And you know if he stays true to that mantra to that moral, right? He can't stop. He can't stop being Spider-Man, right? And he 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 can't allow, um, you know, like the, this whole thing is that he can't, you know, he can't allow his role as Spider-Man to to, to hurt others, right? Yeah. And um, I, I think that that's what they're playing with in this one, in kind of like a reverse, right? Like you can see how Spider Gwen and all all the other Spider-Mans are saying no, like. We have a responsibility, and we have this power, and we have to we have to make sure that things go according to our plan, according to destiny. Like this is our our responsibility, right? Like we you know we've been given much, so we're responsible for much, and we have to make choices that other people can't make, and we have right. to make impossible choices. Um, but Miles says why, right? Like I want to have my father. I want to like. He he makes a to them a a selfish choice, right? You you ask Peter Parker, you know, it, you know, would he sacrifice, you know, like would he sacrifice himself to 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 save, you know, those that he loves? Would he sacrifice? Would he, would he give? You know, you ask Andrew Garfield Spider Man, would he give anything to get Gwen Stacy back? You'd be like yes and no, like it's complicated, but I think it's it's more. This one plays more into the fact that he that Spider Man is willing to sacrifice um you know his great responsibility for a <laughs> a selfish reason he says that he's been gifted with this power he's not a mistake he belongs and you know if his choice you know like he's he's willing to live with his choice even if it means the death of his universe because he would rather live you know he would rather you know 
die in a universe than live in a universe without his dad. And I, I think that that's a, an interesting moral choice that not a lot of other um, superheroes or superhero movies are interested in, right? Like, the whole the whole thing of, you know, you, you look back at the, the most iconic superhero in the last 15 years is Iron Man, right? Like, Robert Downey mm-hmm. Jr. And what's the defining characteristic of Iron Man, right? Like, he starts off as a selfish billionaire, and at the end, he sacrificed himself for the universe. But could you imagine, like, what if instead they're like, you know, Tony, you know, Tony instead was like, no, I want to stay alive for my daughter, and I want to stay alive for Pepper Potts, and I would rather, you know, sacrifice the, the entire universe but to just have Pepper and my daughter. Like, that that looks completely different. That, that, that kind of plays with our ideas of, like, what is a hero, and what does a hero do, and... Uh, you know, a hero is supposed to sacrifice themselves and their own well-being for the for the betterment of of others. And no, I, I I like that. I think it's different. I think that's a that's more interesting to me as a story. And I know it's it's probably dark, and 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 I understand that. But I think it's a it's a question worth yeah. asking. And um, yeah, and you know, maybe that's not for everybody. But um, I I like it when my superheroes, you know, make real human choices and. You know, I, I, like, I don't think that Miles is wrong, but at the same time, like, you know, comic books and movies have told me that Miles is wrong. So, like, well, who's right? And I, I think that's right. what the, I think that's what the, the movie is playing with. And, you know, that might not be for everybody, right? Yeah. One thing that mm. we kind of get robbed of in that movie is they don't show you, because he, he does that. He, he keeps, it's the that futuristic Spider-Man, he helps, he's from India, right? He, he, he saves his police chief and yeah. everyone's like, Oh, that world is doomed. That world is screwed. Now you can pretty much kiss it goodbye. They don't really show that, which makes you think, okay, is the guy's either lying or it is going to explode. And uh, now like the the next ep- the next sequel is going to be all about exploding worlds, um, and I guess what sucks for Miles is like, okay, he gets past the police chief saving, and nothing bad happens, and then you know this the squad, the twenty ninety nine Spider Man says, okay, the next canon event is now your aunt has to die. Oh come on, man, just let it go. I'm sorry, man. Every Spider Man loses their aunt. Okay, you saved your aunt. Okay, now your your family grocer has to die. Oh man, just leave me alone. <laughs> right. This this is that's a horrible life to live. Like your whole story is based on just people dying. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And and I think that's I think that's also something that's interesting to to play with. I think mm-hmm. a lot of superheroes, their their background and like why they become a hero is so ingrained in fridging somebody right like yeah. it's somebody has to die in order for me to to make good choices and i mean of course yeah in in the first spider-man uh the, the cross spider verse movie um you know miles does lose his uncle but right. um i think this is really the 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 first time that you kind of we see a hero that he he wants to be a hero because 
his parents raised him right, right? Like his parents right. gave him a sense of responsibility and they love him unconditionally. And, you know, he has a strong moral compass and he wants to help and save others because he sees that his parents do that. And which is in, in a weird roundabout way, you know, very opposite of like uh, a lot of these heroes. And I think that's one of the things that, that, you know, DC gets wrong about Superman, right? Like Superman is who he is because of his parents. Right. Um, and, you know, it's not because, yes, of course, like his, the sacrifice of his, his biological parents, but he doesn't remember that, right? He, he's not a hero because of the sacrifice of his parents, his biological parents. Mm-hmm. He's a hero because Ma and Pa Kent told him that he has, um, you know, even if, like, even if Clark Kent, wasn't superman he would still have the same morals and integrity and he would still make choices to save others even if he didn't have superpowers Mm -hmm. and i think that i think that's just what the world needs right now right like miles is is a superhero not because of the powers that he got but because of who he is as a person and i i think that that's i i think that's a story that's worth exploring and i i love that yeah and I almost think that you don't need the Spider-Man franchise to tell such a great story. Imagine if it was just like Ant Boy, and it still had the beautiful <laughs> graphics. Right. Um, you could still get that same point across uh, because the movie does do a really good job building that up. Right. Yeah, and I, that's what I hope that they do. Um, you know, into you know the new Superman movies. Superman is it we're calling it Legacy? Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that's why Superman and Spider-Man are two of the most beloved characters. They're the team in, captains of their universe. Right. And and it's not like a, a Captain America, like, mm-hmm. oh, I can do this all day. Oh, like, you know, I, you know, rah, rah, let's go team. It's it's because they they genuinely are good people and they want to do good things for other people because right. of who they are. And, you know, they, yeah. they're both defeated by the major villain. And that is the idea that you can't save everyone. And <laughs> right. That, that'll always be their arch nemesis. Right. Right. And I think that's why, you know, Spider-Verse is doing such a great job because that's really what they're fighting against. Right. Like, yeah. Like, Miles is fighting against this idea that, like, you know, he was given this power, and if he can't even use this power to save his dad, like, why does he have these powers in the mm-hmm. first place? And, well, you know, I, my prediction for the third one is that that 2099 guy is full of garbage. It doesn't destroy <laughs> worlds because I don't think they, they want to show so much death <laughs> on such a global scale. Like, sure. Like it, it would just kind of ruin the taste of the movie. So I think there's like another thing at play here, where you know maybe he's just like really jealous because he couldn't save his, so he made up that story. I don't know. Right, right. I, I mean, I think that remains remains to be seen. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll wait and see. Uh-huh. Well, anyways, I think we we knocked it to death. Yeah, I, I think it was a really good discussion. I think it's it's a good one worth having. I know it's a we we gone definitely way beyond <laughs> what we what we tried to set up, but we'll make this a two parter. That's fine. Or you know, maybe promise that we'll do like 
less heroes next week. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I would love for us to, uh, yeah, <laughs> next time. Let's talk about blockbusters. What do you say? Yeah, let's, uh, let's talk about blockbusters. Let's talk about Robert Redford movies. Anything. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And But, you know, I, I think this is an important, I think it's a, it's a good conversation to have. Yeah, it defines the summer pretty much. Like, like other than that, you have Barbie. And, and Oppenheimer and prom, Primal, Primal Transformers: Rise of the Beasts. <laughs> Man, I if we, I mean, I I have so many thoughts about the Barbie movie. I, I yeah, d- don't even get me started. We'll be here for another two hours. Yeah. Well, it's been a long time coming. I'm surprised that this is the first live action Barbie movie that they they're making. Like honestly, right? it's been such low hanging fruit. But I'm I'm already getting into the rabbit trail. Stop me now. <laughs> Stop me now. Okay. Anyways. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Yes. Um, it was a great ride. Yes, yes. Ho- hopefully you didn't clock out, like, 30 minutes into it. No, I, I don't think people will. I think what we had to say was engaging and wonderful, Michael. Absolutely. That's why we get paid the big bucks. Something like that. Yes. Anyways, I've been Mike. I'm Adam. Thank you for being part of Film Logic. Yay. Bye-bye. Bye.